today will be in Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the very word of God. Heather, for reading this special psalm. There seems to be something magical about the turning of time from one year to the next. Maybe it's the time you make one-time jokes because they only work this day. Maybe it's the one time you try to forget a pain from the previous year. Maybe a new journal is broken open. Maybe a resolution or two or 17 are made only for some to be left behind before the end of the month. Advertisements promise a new you in the new year if you just buy their products. Personal coaches promise that finally this year will be different and you will achieve your goal. Horoscope experts, also known as charlatans, promise that finally this year I heard Venus will be in Jupiter and everything will be transformed. Satisfaction is always guaranteed to be around the next corner. But then you turn that corner and it seems satisfaction is two corners ahead of you, evading you until you buy that product or two or 17. Resolutions are great. You, believer, know that well. You want to take this time as an opportunity for more sanctification. You want to honor your vows to the Lord and the covenants you have made with his people. Maybe this is the time you finally commit to foregoing that sin that you've been nurturing. Maybe this is the year your ministry will see a breakthrough. Maybe this season will bring with it more tangible signs of God's faithfulness in your life. But in reality, we are all surrounded by what seem to be guiding bridles, like the bridle of a horse, that keep hastening us to look forward to push ahead, 
to seek the next thing, to do more, to achieve, to excel, to rise from one thing to another with barely a breather in between and no time for reflection. Perhaps some of these endeavors carry in themselves the marks of sanctification, while others merely wear it as a cloak. After all, we live in an environment that seems to have perfected the appearance of true things, but only manifests them sometimes as shadows. I might be digressing there. We are people of the book. We look forward with great hope and much anticipation to the consummation of the kingdom of God. But as people of the book, we know this book to be a historical document that constantly reminds us of the faithfulness of God. He will be faithful to bring us home. He is faithful to keep us now. And he has been faithful to his promises since he made us for himself. Our book, by its nature, engraves in our minds the necessity both of honoring God and of giving thanks to him. Now, to be honest, brother and sister, I think we fall short. We not only fall short in honoring him, but we tend to fall miserably short of giving thanks to him, except maybe before a meal. Perhaps that's the reason Romans 1.21 stands as a poignant judgment from Paul when he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their minds and their foolish hearts were darkened. Dear Christian, do you hear the two reasons Paul is giving for God's wrath to be revealed? the dishonor of God, and the lack of gratitude toward him. You see, people do not have any lack of things for which to be thankful, but they utterly ignore the one to whom they must be thankful to. Are we better than them? If we had truly understood the breadth of God's mercy, the depth of his grace, the height of his power and the length of his wisdom, we would be constantly prostrate on our faces before him saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, until people around us thought of us as merely delusional. Our worship and our dispositions would be completely transformed and renewed, full of unspeakable joy in the realization that our Father cares for us more than we can ever think or imagine. In meditating on this psalm together today, I'm yearning for us to resolve that we end not one day of our lives without reflecting on God's mercy, without celebrating his grace and giving thanks to him for his person, for his attributes, for his word, and for his works. This is a psalm that is dear to me and has a tradition behind it. See, every New Year's Eve in Lebanon, my church gathered together to have dinner, fellowship, and games. We sang songs, we gave testimonies on God's work, just like Ben mentioned today, and we reflected on his goodness. Then we would spend time together in prayer through midnight, after which we would sing this psalm with the refrain focusing on verse 11, you crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The whole heart sings your praise and the whole soul rejoices in jubilance. The song was a reminder to give thanks and praise to the God who overflows with abundance to people who had been redeemed in the middle of war and opposition and poverty. 
from death and darkness to life and light. You see, the circumstances did not change, but God's work of giving eternal life and the light of his knowledge were transformative. The song came from hearts that knew the extent of God's providence and grace, that because of the Lord's mercies and his steadfast love, we were not consumed. The soul that has tasted of the goodness of the mercies of God and of his steadfast love will delight in his sweetness, will commit to honor him, will yearn to thank him and scoff at any promised fleeting pleasure in this world. And the soul will seek to live and bear fruit by the vibrant power of the Holy Spirit that is in us. Such a soul does not see God and his works as a dessert or as a mere afterthought, but the main meal, a priority that satisfies hunger and quenches thirst in a dry and weary land. In our time together, I will first lay out the context and main themes of this psalm, then I'll remind us of the importance of reflection and exhort us toward a resolution of thanksgiving. Psalm 65 comes after a series of psalms of lament and yearning for God and begins a series of psalms of thanksgiving. Um, as the title says, it's a lyrical poem that can be either sung or spoken. It's not clear when David wrote it, but it probably came after a period of transgression against God that he punished with drought and duress, leading them to repent and to return to him in worship, at which point he mercifully forgave their iniquities and graciously blessed them with abundance. In fact, as we study our Old Testament, in particular of late as we've been studying Ezekiel, this pattern seems all too familiar in the narratives that we come across. But as we study our lives, this pattern does not seem to be foreign to us either. Verses 1 through 4 tell us that God wants to be honored, that praise due to his name. He is worthy to be worshipped by his people. He is worthy to receive commitments and resolutions and vows from his children. He is worthy to be, recipient, to be recipient of vows of obedience, of love, and of thanksgiving. When we fail to honor him, if he were to measure our iniquities, none of us would stand before him. But being the only living God who hears all petitions, as verse 2 says, he hears all prayers, he manifests an eagerness to grant the ultimate and highest blessing in his divine election of his people, as verse 4 says, in redemption, in atonement, in choosing them and drawing them to come near, in bringing them into community, into his people, into his fold, into his house, where they can find rest and dwell in peace. His bounty satisfies more than the sweetness of honey and more than any riches of treasure. Not only that, but his children, we believers, will find his holiness the ultimate fulfillment of our desire and the community of faith, our enduring family. These first four verses tell us that God is worthy to be praised because he is merciful and gracious in welcoming back sinners as his own, where they find that his holiness is not a fearsome danger or awful terror. But look at verse 4. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. People will be satisfied with God's holiness. It's a delight to be in his presence and a pleasing aroma that revives the soul 
and satisfies it with joy. See, the soul, the soul that yearns to come to him, to be in his presence, to pray, to make vows, to confess, and to, be, and to delight in him. Verses 5 through 8 then describe that the one who has known restoration to fellowship with God will not regard God's righteousness or his works or any attribute as an entirely separate entity from God's being and purposes. You see, his works, his holiness, and his might flow out of his being and are therefore unmatched as they manifest together in creation, in sustenance, and in salvation. His eternal purposes toward the world have not changed in these verses. Verses 5 and 8 tell us that all peoples must hope in him. He is not the last hope. He is the only hope. His might is hidden from none. He wears it as a robe. His attributes, as Paul says in Romans, are clearly seen so that no one is without excuse. Even the phenomena of created nature, as verse 8 shows us, whether regular or eccentric, normal or abnormal, natural or supernatural, they all testify to God's manifold greatness and bring glory to his name in the entire created order. He is more awesome than the sum of them all. Yet even more, what brings the highest glory and leads the ends of the earth to come to our Lord is when the people whom he has chosen for himself extend the blessing he has given them to those who have not yet received it. You see, when God blesses his people, the expectation has always been that the blessing would extend through his people to all nations of the earth. That's how his fame grows. That's how his glory is known. That's how the ends of the earth would seek him out to worship, as the psalm says, would come to him. For all should come to him. Isaiah says, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Now, David could have ended this psalm at verse 8 with the beautiful image of nature rejoicing in God's work. But after celebrating God's grace toward his people, I'm so glad he included the next five verses that proclaim God's providential care for his creation, both human and non-human, and the increase of abundance and value he gives to all that he has made. His grace overflows. His providence is unmatched. Like a master gardener, he beautifies the land he made and prepares it for growth and harvest. I love verse 11. It says, you crown the year with your bounty and your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. I want you to imagine a wagon on four wheels going through a field that's well watered, leaving deep tracks, and the wagon is full of harvest, and the harvest is overflowing from the wagon, and the weight of the harvest is making those furrows deeper, and they are being full of water and of the harvest falling from it. This is how God rejoices in giving abundance and grace to his children. These verses invite meditation on the works of the Lord that should lead us, his people, to delight in his abundance by seeing that the land itself is pregnant with fullness and plenty under God's blessing. It wears the blessing of his care as a beautiful, as a beautiful crown, springtime and harvest, as we sang this morning. Once more, we see a reminder of the promised covenant blessing leading all creation to sing from the first creation, declaring his greatness to the future new creation, 
announcing his eternal glory and salvation. And so this is an invitation for reflection. Just like the end of a season and the beginning of another, always invite reflection. I find myself, for example, writing the most in my journal at the end of a year. There's something unique about the turning of time and date. Even the psalmist recognizes it. But how often should one reflect? If we take a closer look at the word, we find reflection at the center of major parts of the Bible, with festivals and times set apart for this purpose. Prophets call people to remember the works of God. Priests call on them to remember the covenant and the vows. Songs and psalms call on people to remember his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Gospels and letters call on us to remember Christ's work, his promises, and our faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Reflection and retrospection invite thanksgiving. That's why God has given them to us. And maybe a lack of reflection is the reason people do not honor God, or at least not the way they should. See, honoring looks forward. Thanksgiving looks backward. And I offer us this concept today, that thanksgiving, based on reflection, is a stepping stone toward honoring God. In this psalm, the people had gone astray and had suffered for it. Yet God led them to repentance, showed them grace, and gave them abundance. It was fitting for them to reflect on his mercies, to give thanks to him, and to praise him from hearts that knew the depth of this mercy. Reflection may not always be focused, however, on the positive. You've heard it said, hindsight is 2020, especially today with eye injuries. I think sometimes hindsight is 20 over 100 or even worse. People, including us, seem to have a selective memory the longer time passes by. The people in the wilderness quickly forgot God's salvation and misremembered their time in Egypt as if it was full of cucumber. I hope it was Persian cucumbers. Or meat or bread and yogurt. They forgot all the slavery they, they lived through. The reflection was ill, which made their thanksgiving nil and their future praise dim. Instead, they should have been reflecting on God's salvific work and looking forward with anticipation to the coming hope, the promised land, with eagerness to honor him and keep the vows that he has made with them. They had many reasons to give thanks for. Salvation, freedom from slavery, freedom to worship the one true God, the exodus, the manna that he provided them, the water that came out of the rock, the clothes that did not tear for 40 years, the shoes that did not wear, the law, good leaders like Moses and Joshua, the temple, the sacrifices, a fertile land, abundance, God himself making his dwelling place among them as their king and the giver and guarantor of their promises. And the story repeats itself throughout history until today. Because if we reflect on the past year or any past period, we are sure to find a multitude of reasons that make it hard to be positive. Even now, our minds might be starting to recall some of these things. Accidents, anxiety, a broken car, a broken promise, a broken water pipe, a conflict, a confusion, death, delays, dementia, depression, difficult coworkers, distance from loved ones, disobedient children, harsh parents, 
illnesses, inflation, insecurity, isolation, joblessness, lack of rest, lies, loneliness, morning sickness, pain, pandemic, sin, toil, unrealized expectations, war, weird neighbors. I have heard these, I keep track of things. I have heard these said in this congregation throughout 2022, some of them said by myself. But 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So if we reflect with the purpose of finding reasons to celebrate and to give thanks, we might be surprised at the hope our memories can find. And here's reasons we've had this year. Adoption, baptism, celebrations, children and new babies, clarity on different matters, clean water, easy co-workers, delights, which is I think my favorite word of the year, family, forgiveness, friendships, good neighbors, good memories, growth, healing, hope, kind strangers, love, meals, and food. I wonder who of us went hungry this year. New life, obedience, recreation, repairs, resolution, rest, safety, transportation, Truce in times of war. Truth. Unexpected blessings. Warmth. Work. And many others that we have shared with one another. We might have to work a bit harder looking for these things. Because I think we have been conditioned in this age to wear two things. Busyness, which is not my issue today, but negativity as a badge of honor. How are you? I'm busy. How do you feel tired? How are you doing today? Not so bad. My answer to that is, oh, I'm sorry, you're feeling bad? No, 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 I'm not feeling bad, but you said not so bad. Why don't you say, I feel great or exhausted, but praise the Lord. I want us to recondition ourselves and stop being conditioned by our culture and the self-help books that we read, and the TV shows that we watch, and the Netflix, and all these things, and we wonder how we are being conditioned in this day and age, and how our children are becoming different when we let them watch anything and everything, and we don't invest in our lives and the lives of one another and of our children that are the church of today, not the church of tomorrow, and guiding them to follow these principles. This book is eternal. It has all the truth that one can ever desire or wish to know. You want to make a New Year's resolution? Read this book and teach it to your children. And want to get a tattoo? My brother would probably not like that if I said it. It's a good decision. Wear a phylactery with this. If you don't know what a phylactery is, look at your correspondence in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and know what they are. But stop wearing negativity as a badge of honor, believer. Wear thanksgiving 
as a badge of honor. Give thanks in all circumstances because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will for your life? It is to give thanks in all circumstances. We might want to work a bit harder looking for these things, but work harder, reflect, write them down, and then look back and say, thus far has the Lord helped us. Raise an Ebenezer in your house. I hope we all resolve to reflect on God's goodness every day of this year, every single day. Not one day passes where you don't sit down and say, thank you for you have been gracious to me. Because it is good to give thanks and praise to the Lord. Like Ben said and Kristen texted, praise the Lord is not something like amen when we end the prayer, which is not meaning praise ended. I'm, I'm digressing too much here, but it's gonna be the shortest and longest sermon of the year, I promise. But I want you to say, when you say, praise the Lord, do that with at least a neuron in you, besides the one typing it or saying it, that says, no, I think I am truly praising the Lord now because his mercies are more. Because were it not for his mercies, we would have perished. Because he has guaranteed my eternity. Hear this, he not only crowns the year with his bounty, but hear this from the Old Testament. He also crowns you with glory and honor, Psalm 8. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He crowns the humble with salvation. And hear these from the New Testament. He will give you a crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4. The crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, 4. The crown of life. He will give you a crown of life. And hear this from Isaiah 28, 5. He himself will become the crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to his people. He not only gives us crowns, he is the fullest and truest and best representation of any crown, any beauty and any glory he gives to his people. He will be our king, and we shall be his people forever and ever. And he shall reign forever and ever. And we will be in his presence forever and ever, where there is fullness of joy. One of my practices the past couple of years has been to ask myself every evening, what has been a moment of God's grace in my life? Some of you have been with me overseas. You know that I've asked that question regularly at the end of the day. What's been a moment of God's grace in my life today? That led me to reflection and to thanksgiving, even when I had thought there was no reason to be grateful. Like most other rhythms, reflection and thanksgiving are to be exercised regularly. We might risk losing our aptitude in doing that. You see, thankfulness is the language of gratitude, and I'll tell you how. It's also the language of our dependence, and I'll tell you how. The word please, when you tell someone please, it indicates that you are dependent on someone to do something for you. The word thank you makes you realize a past 
or a prior dependence that you are now expressing in the language of gratitude. A good reflection, dear believers, should lead us to abundant thanksgiving. Who of us has not experienced the Lord's mercies and grace, assurance and joy, care and delight in this past year? Now, even as we're thinking about this question, I, I think there's a warning because as we're hearing this, we're, our minds are immediately going to a cupboard, opening up, getting up some scales, dusting them off, and trying to weigh the positives against the negatives and see where the balance is. But what if, like David here, we simply remember God's goodness and break out in thanksgiving and joy, casting aside any negative experiences we might have had and just pouring out praise. Now, I don't want us to simmer down our joy or balance our thanksgiving. I want us to express them to their fullest. Now, for some reason, we have learned to, to blunt our God-given emotions. We've toned down the mourning of sin, the grieving of death, and the expressing of lament. We call it celebration of life now, and then people will go home having not mourned and grieved because it's not good for us believers to grieve. And then they go home and spend weeks, months, and years in grief and lament and isolation and depression because we should show the world that we are stronger than others. When loved ones die, believer, you better mourn because this is not the intention that even God himself does not delight in the death of a sinner. But then Psalm 116, verse 18 says, precious in his sight is the death of his saints. Christ himself wept when Lazarus died, even when he knew he was going to raise him again. So you better grieve. We better do it well, not without hope, but well. So when we grieve, do it from our hearts. When you mourn, do it deeply. When you cry, get dehydrated. When you lament, ask like David in Psalm 13 and many others, why and how long? When you are struggling, let the body of Christ bear your burden. When you are fighting sin, fast and pray and let your team fight, fight with you. The Bible clearly invites us to give full expression to our human emotions before the throne of God. Read Job and read the Psalms. The Bible gives us freedom to express all these things. But also, it calls on us to give it full expression to our praise, to our joy and our gratitude. So when you rejoice, do it like God is watching you. Sports players love to give full expression to their joy before an audience of people. And their joy is but for a moment. Argentina just won the football World Cup that you call soccer. And now they're looking to see who's going to win the next one. It's gone. It's done. Boris Becker, who won the Grand Slam in tennis, when he won the Grand Slam, so he won all four great big tournaments, he took the cup, he went down to his... Um, to, to the player's room, and he was there alone. He sat there, he put the cup in front of him, and he said, that's the first time I thought of committing suicide because I have achieved everything that I have, and there's nothing more to do. And, and joy was left behind on the field. This is what the world does. This is what sports players do that you idolize. 
and their joy is but for a moment. Why don't we give full expression to our eternal joy before the throne of God and in the assembly of his holy ones? Especially on Sunday morning when we worship together. Do it like King David who danced before the ark as if no one was there. Or more accurately, as if God himself was the ultimate audience. 2 Samuel 6.14 says, He danced before the Lord, before Yahweh. It doesn't matter who looked at him or that his wife despised him. He danced before the Lord. And he gave full expression to his joy. When you worship, worship with all your being. And when you give thanks, overflow with gratitude to the one who has made you his own. Who has united you with him, both in his death and in his resurrection. Who has called you a son and a daughter and gave you that identity in Christ. That is your identity, regardless of what you do every day of your life in work or at home. Your identity is Christ Jesus is your Lord and he's your brother. He has brought us incomprehensible peace and he has given us eternal joy and guaranteed life everlasting. Now, is there supposed to be a cooling down period before one emotion or the other between lament and praise Asking why, oh Lord, how long, and also giving thanks. I don't think the Bible prescribes that. Read Job. Same chapter. It goes from one to the other. Paul would often start his letters with wonderful thanksgiving and then move on to mourn sin and address difficult matters. He gave great thanks for the, for the Corinthians and then he addressed all of their sins. <laughs> and then he called them to worship at the end. This is one letter. It's meant to, meant to be read just in one hour. I'm not saying we should go about acting schizoid, or maybe like some of the kids that were at my house yesterday, going from one emotion to, the, to another. But I think it's with you know, widely flating emotions. But I think it's perfectly possible for one to mourn or lament at one point during a day, and then come to the end of the day and find reasons to give thanks, if for no other cause than for the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. In obedient response and application to the word, I usually like to make statements like, I will. I will do this, or I will not do, do that, or I will commit to this. And I think some people in my missional family have experienced that before as well in our conversations. I exhort you today to make lasting commitments like, I will reflect daily on the works of God. Or I'll find a reason every day to give him thanks. Or I'll meditate every evening on how he has been gracious to me. I'll make vows and keep them. I'll seek to obey and be holy. I'll praise him with all my being, with my brothers and sisters and a cloud of witnesses. I'll leave that to you, but I, I pray that you make one of these commitments. Maybe in addition to your whole 30 or whatever you're starting today, make a whole 365 to give thanks to the Lord at the end of every day. Now, many of the people of faith who came before us made vows and resolutions that helped them in their walk with the Lord. For example, Jonathan Edwards is known to have written 70 resolutions for his, for his Christian walk. I invite you to read them because they're purely Puritan and also delightful um, to read. Um, hard to understand sometimes, but delightful. But I was slightly disappointed 
I found it suboptimal that none of his resolutions mention giving thanks. People who seek to obey God, you see, would be well served by reflecting on his kindness and giving thanks for his goodness. Because the gratitude of the heart would lead the believer to abound in praise. And this psalm reminds us that it is good to give praise to the Lord. Verse 1, the literal translation of this verse is, Praise awaits you in silence, O God. Which means that when one reflects on the word of our God in silence, I imagine the believer sitting there in silence, stunned and awed even with difficulty finding words to initiate praise and then pouring forth in, in thanksgiving and joy and an overflowing desire to give thanks and praise to God. There's, there's a sense of honor that then swells inside the believer in making vows to God, right? When we are infatuated with someone else, I, you knew what that was like, right? It's like you want to make all those, you know, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to love you forever and ever. We're never going to fight, right? I want you to make something like that to God and be infatuated with him every single day. A thoughtful reflection with the desire to praise him should give us a disposition of delight in his kindness and thankfulness for his care, joy in his fatherhood, and peace in each and every situation, in each circumstance. Verse 4 mentioned it earlier says, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Our Lord sovereignly chooses and elects to bring us near. He made a feast and called sinners to come to the table, to come by without silver or gold, to come enter his rest and be satisfied with his goodness. In his courts is fullness of joy. His house is the most hospitable. His table is always full. His temple is overflowing with the aroma of the incense of his holiness, rising with the songs of praise of the seraphim and of the angels. Who is like the Lord our God, awesome in glory, majestic in holiness, merciful in his forgiveness, gracious in his redemption? There is no God like him. No, there is no other. And he has decided to share of his own self and of his goodness and grace with us. Think of this. Christ in us is the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is at this moment and forever living inside each and every one of you and me. He has shared of himself with us. He has lifted our heads and given us seats of honor. He has entered our toil so that we may enter his rest. He has walked into our pain and took suffering among himself so that we may walk into his comfort. He has girded himself to make war in our fight so that we may receive the victory. And it is guaranteed. He will put all things under his feet. So the soul that's satisfied with him delights in this hope that he gives. When, it, when the soul gives thanks, it overflows with the proclamation of his hope to the ends of the earth so that all peoples come to worship him. A resolution of gratitude to our God is a resolution to make his name 
known and his glory shown through all the earth. So let him find none else that is more thankful than we are, believers. If nature, as we saw in this psalm, leaps for joy and sings with all its being, we must outdo nature in our resolutions of obedience and of praise and of godliness and of holiness and of delight in honoring him and eagerness to thank him. Just like the sun rises every day, thankfulness should rise in your heart every day. Many are making New Year's resolutions today. I wish to tell you that this next year will be better than the past. But the truth is, I don't know. As we look back, we can see that in many ways, things got worse from one year to the next. We can also see that in many ways, God is making things better every day until the day when he will make all things new. We are living in bad times. Some might even say the worst of times. But we're also living in the best of times because he who is with us is stronger than he who is against us. And every day that passes by is a day closer to him making all things new. And he is faithful to bring us to glory. He has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. And he has given us signs of the covenant, baptism and the Lord's Supper that we will take together in just a moment. So I pray we resolve to remember the mercies of God and give him thanks every day in all circumstances because it is the will of God and because it is good to give thanks to the Lord, our God and King, and to praise him for his steadfast love endures forever and his kingdom will never fail. Let's pray. Lord, we have come to you today on the first day of this year looking back and seeing that the Lord in many circumstances has been good and gracious to us. We also have the promises that in Christ nothing will have victory over us. Nothing can stand against us. Your church is marching on. So God, I pray today, as the song says, praise is due to you that we would give you glory and honor and praise at all times in our life, even in difficult circumstances. That you have called us your children from death to life, from darkness to light. You have, you have chose to shine in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ in the face of our Lord. So God, thank you today that, that we can gather together here to worship you, to give you thanks, to give you praise. And let none, O oh God, let none be found more thankful than we are. For you are worthy of praise and glory and honor in your people, in your church, in the redeemed, in the ones whom you have called to glory, in the ones you have kept in your hand and no one can take them out of it. You are worthy to receive blessing and honor, glory and power and praise and thanksgiving in Christ Jesus and in this church now and forever.